The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, we'll continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you. Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels on this Monday edition of the show. Hey, let's talk some Royals baseball, huh? We are getting rolling, man. Uh, Royals baseball, they got some workouts going on, and uh, they got some scrimmages and things coming up this week. We talked with Jack Johnson down in Arizona. Let's talk with Josh Kaiser from uh, KCSN One Royal Way podcast joining us here in the zone. Josh, welcome in. How are you, sir? I'm doing swell. Uh, I'm wondering what we're going to talk about. Jack didn't leave much meat on the bone there. He was the Tasmanian devil in my living room. I don't know. I've got I've got lots of thoughts about the Twister remake. I've got uh, yeah. I had a vasectomy in December. We could talk about, but uh, yeah, that's essentially essentially what I got for you today. I'll take it. Let's go. Go ahead, riff. Well, you know what? Um, hopefully, the Royals' hopes don't get snipped anytime soon. Hey, no, nope. right. Love it. Well done. Am I right? Really, really well done. Thank you. Really well done. Uh, thank you. So what do you think about the Twister uh, remake? Do you think it's a, is it a prequel, a sequel? Is it just remaking the same movie, only with different actors? Uh, how are you sort of processing the, uh, the the Twisters and how they're describing it? Because I'm still confused. Um, I, I would think it's a sequel, considering how things are gone. I'm a big Glenn Powell guy, so okay. um, I'm yeah. kind of excited about that aspect. Um, I, but I'm curious to see how they... How they uh, like I don't know expand on the story. I mean, I feel like we've we've kind of done the censors and the twister before, so we can we can talk to like Nick Bender and see what he's got uh, got some ideas. But uh, I'm excited to see how they how they handle that. Is he playing the um, uh, the Jonas? Is Glenn Powell play, playing Jonas, or is he playing um, uh, Bill? In this, because so, you uh, know, Bill was the good. Jonas was the jerk. The Carrie yeah. um, uh, Owens uh, character. Yep. Um, so Glenn Powell to me strikes me more as the Dr. Jonas, um, uh, jerk that was in it. He's in it yep. for the money. I don't want to disrupt either of you guys, but according to IMDB, he's playing Tyler. Okay. Who, yeah, but well, wh- Tyler is, who the heck is I mean, Tyler? Makes, I think he's a mix between the two. I think he starts out as okay. the cocky cowboy hat wearing guy and then he transitions because Maybe you know, maybe the cows in the twister, or maybe the twisters themselves, <laughs> kind of give them a change of heart. You never know. You never know. Uh, okay, we'll see. He is playing Tyler. Um, Tyler. Yeah. Okay. He's playing a guy named Tyler. again. Is Tyler closer to Bill or is he closer to Jonas? You know, which uh, which of those characters? Like, is he the is Glenn Powell the main character in this one? Because it I looks like it to me. Okay, great. Then he should be Bill. Then you know. Sure, I'm into it, and I mean, he's got a cowboy hat, and who doesn't love a cowboy hat? Is Sweeney playing the Helen Hunt role? They can reprise their characters of uh, you know the rom com. The only thing I know this guy's face from is that trailer. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what. Oh, he was in. He was in Top Gun. I forgot no, he was he's in, in Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right. All right. He's the, All right. Co- he's the cocky guy in, in Top Gun. That's right. All right. That's I where just, I know him from. Yeah. I haven't seen the rom com with uh, Sydney Sweeney and, I, and him. I described him earlier, Josh, as the guy with the funny face, and I I do feel some regret about that. Really. He's yeah. got a funny face. He's got a handsome funny face. I wish we all, Josh. I wish we all had funny faces to Josh. Then, if listen. That, if Glenn Powell has a funny face. He, I'd love to be a guy with a funny face. There are a lot of beautiful people that also look a little funny. Um, yeah. I, I, sure. I, uh, I mean, I guess beautiful gets you a long ways and gets things overlooked, like body flaws. But I mean, he's absolutely jacked and ripped. I'm not, yeah. I mean, he's just no problem. 
no problem. Give him a funny face and the rest of them <laughs> like A plus. Yeah, it's almost like why is he uh, he's really struggling with uh you know dating uh Cindy Sweeney in that movie. Yeah. Like, oh, he could do so much better. Um he I have could, no idea. he could really use our thoughts and prayers right now, guys. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, yes. He's got at least two twisters to deal with, guys. I feel like we gotta give him some respect. Two. There you go. Yeah, yeah. twisters. Yeah, it could be, it could be more yeah. than twisters. Could be three, four, five, six. I don't. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's a good point. Yeah, because but but that was sort of misleading about the first one. Is that twister had many twisters? No, in it. no. It's just called twister. It was just the one. It can't yep. be. It's just, just it the one twister. Have, it was one many times or something. The I don't one know. It just kept coming back. It has to be that because <laughs> it's just called twister. <laughs> Okay. If there's not a set of three twisters, we're really missing an opportunity. <laughs> I will if bring in three board games situation. stacked on top of each other. We have other. twins. We have triplets. Triplet twisters. <laughs> Left hand red. We are one better than the previous movie. Josh, right, which right-hander in blue do you think? <laughs> hey, well, I was going to make my, uh, come on. Uh, are the Royals going to be one better in the division this year than they were last year? Can they be two or three better? Uh, let's just start with just in general. I mean, spring training's going on. How you feeling right now about the moves they have made and uh, what the potential could be for this season for the Royals? I know you talked about it right before the break, but you were talking about how you never buy into the Royals <laughs> in spring. And I am guy who always drinks the Kool-Aid. I am Captain Optimism right there with you. Um, and I feel I feel like they're pulling me back in. I went in <laughs> and like, I'm not doing it this year. I'm not doing it. And I feel like they're starting to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Start, every starting to every time I think I'm out, they every, pull me back in. Yes. Pull me back in. I, do it. It, I mean, but it's, it is a different offseason. It did, everybody wants to knock the assessment year you know, of last year, everybody wants to talk about how bad the season. That is unequivocally undeniable. <laughs> they had an awful season, historically bad. But I do believe that they did assess what they needed. They did find out what they needed, and they went and got what they needed. And I think that that is different than it usually is. They don't spend this money, really. They haven't since the Dave Glass era, and here we are now. It's just It just feels different. And I don't. Uh, I'm scared to get hurt again, but I'm ready to get hurt again. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. Uh, it's like I, um, you know, I go in with a, a a level of optimism. It's not like I just go in saying this team's going to suck every single year. It's okay. What can they do if this happens? If that happens, I buy too much into the uh, capital I, capital F, too often in um, in the Royals runs or lack thereof uh, over the years. But this one's got me back in because you know. One of the things that I brought up uh, in the previous hour was just, you know, Daniel Lynch sort of being an example of where we are this year versus where we were a year ago. That Daniel Lynch was a big part of if he can do something, if he can turn it on, you know, uh, that they, they, he can be instrumental in helping this team get back to 500. Daniel Lynch can be that. And this year, Daniel Lynch may not make the roster. And it and it won't be because you know he may not make the roster while still having a good enough spring training, because there are four guys in the rotation already, assuming health, with Cole Reagans and Lugo and Waka and Brady Singer, and they're paying money to uh, Jordan Lyles. Like Lynch was viewed for how many years in a row of this guy's going to be a big part of a rotation for the Royals, and and this year, nice player. We'll see what he does with, with, with Daniel Lynch. But if Daniel Lynch doesn't succeed. It's not the end of the Royals' season this year. It just means it hurts the depth for their rotation. Uh, and that's a big difference from a, a year ago to now. There's not a big if around Daniel Lynch in meaning can the Royals actually compete this year. Yeah, and the if is the big deal with him still, I would say. Yeah. Because 
Last year, like you said, if he works out, he could be a really nice player. He could go to the top of the front, top of the rotation and be a dude. But what happens if that doesn't happen? What was the contingency plan? And they have, they have put in an insurance, not only an insurance plan, but almost a replacement at this point with the guys that they brought in. So what happens if he turns a corner and becomes a dude now? Well, then you can slot him into a spot that he deserves and not the one that you have to give him by default. And I think that they have done that with so many guys along the you know bullpen, along with rotation, along with the lineup, just up and down. They've done that with multiple positions. you got to go get your spot now. You're not going to be given it because we have no other option because we want it to happen. you got to go get it. And I think that's been a huge, huge difference in you know last year's starting spring training and this year. Well, I mean, uh, Daniel Lynch is just named Cole Reagans now. I mean, from yeah. from what they were wanting from a left-handed starting pitcher uh, to go out there and and be successful and be really good, um, it's uh, it's it's now Cole Reagans, and he's a year younger than than Daniel yep. Lynch. <laughs> so it's like, uh, sorry, and, dude. I mean, you had opportunities, and that was one of the things they said in the uh, the the off season. Sorry, Josh, but one of the things they said in the off season was, you know. We gave the guys chances. This it was an evaluation year, and we evaluated. <laughs> so we found out who yep. can do it and who can't, and they made choices, yep. uh, you know, based off that. And Reagan's isn't a sure thing. I mean, he's no, had he's command issues in the past. He's had injury issues, Lord knows, but it's not a sure thing. But you feel like if you get anything from any of these guys now, it's house money at this point. Like it's not something you're counting on. It's it is an if, and if they become that guy. It's absolutely house money, and you're just benefiting from it. So the depth, the, the, the floor being raised, it's all good stuff. We just need the next step of that top end to really, really make that jump into contention, I think. What are you uh, most excited or optimistic about? Is it the uh, the lineup uh, this year, you know, adding Hunter Renfro? We'll see, you know, what they can do with the Velasquez and uh, a healthy Pasquantino. Is it the just complete rebuilding of the bullpen, it feels like? Or, or is it the starting staff, uh, starting rotation? What, 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 what gets you most sort of optimistic about what the season can be? I'm, uh, to be honest, it's the starting pitching. Um, Jack kind of covered it, and I, I kind of looked into the numbers a little bit this year. But adding Waka and Lugo and kind of pushing the rotation down a little bit, adding those two guys, you're not, you're not relying on them as much as you were last year. If, if they don't go out there and give you a quality start or even five innings, you're not feeling pressure on the bullpen you're not doing it day after day after day so who knows what happens when there's less pressure on everybody else the starting pitching is way more solid at that point the sky is kind of the limit and that's kind of what the big the big void was going into the offseason is they needed to address starting pitching because it is huge even if the you know the value of it is kind of getting drawn you know, pushed down a little bit by the usage kind of changing but it's still very important, and it still could take a team that goes from the basement to maybe they're on the main level now. <laughs> maybe they're out of the basement in the sunshine a little bit. So I I like what they've done across the board, but really the starting pitching is kind of where the, the corner, I think, could be turned. Yeah, I mean, it's you know going out there and feeling like every night you got a chance to win. I, I think adding Lugo and Waka and obviously finding Cole Reagans, if he can continue to do that, Brady Singer, even in a struggle with Brady Singer, it's like if he's on the mound, I still feel like they've got a chance to win that night. Uh, Jordan Lyles, not exactly that, but you know there are other candidates certainly that could be there that could step into that role. Um, but if you've got four guys out of five and you're like, look, this guy's on the mound, Brady Singer's on the mound, he might go seven innings of uh, shutout baseball. Uh, Cole Reagans on the mound, he might throw a no-hitter. 
Uh, Seth Lugo, Michael Waka have proven. Uh, Waka more than Lugo because Lugo was a starter last year for the first time and being 34 years old. Um, both those guys, I mean, if they get you mid threes for 140 you know, innings this year, again, sign me up right now if, if that's what yep. you can get from those guys. 100%. I'm not looking for a 200-inning pitcher from Waka or Lugo, but, you know, 130, 140 innings at like a 3-6, 3-7, I'll take it right now uh, considering where this team has been. And that would be a huge improvement just from, from that standpoint alone. 100%. And I, I think it also kind of knocks those fringy guys down to go back to Omaha to go back and keep working on stuff that they have worked on in the offseason. Go back. Daniel Lynch, go back and work on the fastball, work on the slider a little bit more. Angel Zerpa, Alec Marsh, Anthony Veneziano, Jonathan Bolin, all those guys were considered to be guys that could be difference makers in the future, and they kind of got pushed up into that role because we needed it out of necessity. Innings needed to be, needed to be thrown. So being able to push them back down into a system that's not necessarily going to be crunched with that push you're going to absolutely give them more opportunities in a consequenceless environment to see what works, see what they need to work on, and then build from there. So you're also taking pressure off those guys to be able to develop and, again, go earn that spot and knock down and knock down the door in order to get that spot. Josh Kaiser is our guest, KCSN uh, One Royal Way podcast. Uh, John Schreiber, um, a very quiet acquisition by the Royals. Nobody's uh, weighed in on that at all. Uh, Nobody. <laughs> boy, I, I don't know that I've seen – uh, a move that kind of feels like pretty ancillary, um, you know, just uh, one of those fringe moves of a baseball team that's gotten so much reaction back and forth from Royals fans and even people in the industry of like, wow, the uh, the Royals fleece the Red Sox. Oh, my goodness, the Red Sox got one on the Royals. This sounds really dumb for Kansas City. Well, I mean, the Red Sox are giving up a bullpen arm for somebody that may never make the big leagues. Like, And, and even within the Royals fan base of this is dumb, good move, helps them out. This is stupid. David Sandlin is the next David Cohn, apparently. Um, I don't know. Uh, John Shriver might be, you know, as, as bad as, you know, uh, any other reliever we've ever seen. Where do you come down on this uh, this discussion between uh, the, the move that J.J. Piccolo made when he said if there are going to be opportunities to make over the next you know five, six weeks or so, uh, certainly we'll be looking at those to, to make some moves. And they traded a guy who you know had a big arm, and uh, they got a, um, a reliever out of him who's you know, got three years control, but with relievers I never really put much you know factor into, well, you got three years of control with this guy. Yeah, and he might be terrible this year, and you won't care about the next two years of control. Yep. I don't have any hot takes. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna stop you. There yeah, we, go. we can move on. No, uh, <laughs> I You're the one. Hamlin. I mean, he was climbing up prospect boards yeah. and you know, really, really working. He flashed really good numbers there, mostly as a 22 year old, two year old in a ball, which I mean, is he should be doing. He yeah. should be absolutely shoving an a ball. So, and then he went down with an oblique strain. Um, he sounds like he's had a good off season. So, there is a good chance that he could become a good major league pitcher. He could even become a starter, and if that's the case, then then you probably could make a pretty good case that the Royals got fleeced in this deal because obviously three years of a reliever is not going to outweigh the six years of a controllable starter. The issue there is there's a lot of ifs, and we just got done talking about the ifs, and Schreiber is kind of a uh, known commodity. Um, three years of control left. I love the fact that he's got absolute juice on the, he's got so much energy on the mound. Seeing some pictures, seeing some videos of him over the weekend after the trade, and he's just got—he's jacked up all the time. Mm-hmm. I love dudes, especially coming out of the bullpen that have that energy. Amir Garrett was kind of that guy. Yeah. Rollis Chapman, kind of that guy. I love having those guys in the bullpen. So I love that. I love his low 
you know, uh, arm slot. I think he gives hitters way different things to look at. And I love the fact that this is another weapon for Q to run through matchups with. Um, I think he can be way more methodical with his bullpen. Again, because the starters are, in theory, going longer, he can weaponize his bullpen way much more than he is just coming out of, you know, absolute necessity at that point. So I think the fact that they brought in Schreiber, they obviously I think that they saw something in Schreiber and saw something in Sandlin that made it worth their while, and I'm just going to have to have faith that that's the case. But I, I was not outraged either way. I, like I said, I like Sandlin, but I like what they got in Schreiber. Too. Is there something to be said that 18 months after the Royals took, you know, Sandlin in the 11th round uh, that, you know, there are fans that are upset that they let him go or there's an organization that's willing to give up a big league reliever who in 2022 was pretty damn good, um, came back to earth last year, but uh, willing to give up a reliever when the talk about pitching development and the lack thereof has been discussed ad nauseum with this Royals organization that, you know, I, I guess the the spin I would put on it or the Royals spin they would want to put on it would be, yeah, this is an, an example of our pitching development being different now than what it was. We've developed this guy to the point that he's now a tradable asset. And these trades that seem minor, if we're 1% better or 2% better on all these different trades, then we're a better ball club moving forward. And we are able to develop this guy, and we'll do it with the next guy and the next guy. And that's what the Rays and the Guardians and those uh, organizations have done. 100%. It's what we call online as good process. Um, seems to be a big uh, hot topic, especially in this trade, but it was more talking about good process being in favor of keeping Sandlin and just got, getting a guy like Liam Hendricks to come kind of supplement your bullpen. But it, it, you, that's a great point. Like, it is good process to draft a guy somewhat later in the rounds, turn him around into a viable asset to use to acquire to make your major league talent or major league team better. It's mm-hmm. just that's a good process. So it kind of goes both ways, but I think you can make a case either way that it's good process. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, as I've talked about this, though, um, it's not a hot takey, you know, sort of discussion, but I would have, I would have rather them stay with uh, David Sandlin. Um, and, and we'll see what they can do with the next one. Just I, I love what Schreiber can do in terms of the, the juice on the mound, which you're talking about, because Amir Garrett had that, but Amir Garrett didn't back it up nearly enough. Yep. And uh, I would love a guy out there that, you know, has that but is also really good. Hopefully Schreiber can yep. be that, but he's uh, he's a right-handed reliever um, in Major League Baseball um, that's been just a guy for a while except for 2022, as opposed to the prospects of what a David Sandlin could bring. We'll see. Could be nothing. Uh, Schreiber might just be a guy, and Sandlin might just be a guy as well, and it's just rearranging deck chairs for uh, different teams. Or I'll take your guy over there. He's a four. You give me this four, and and uh, it's just different names in different positions. We'll see. We're visiting with Josh Kaiser, KCSN, uh, One Royal Way podcast. Um, MJ Melendez is probably going to be the everyday left fielder, although – uh, Matt Cotrero didn't necessarily uh, commit to that of just like, well, you know, he'll play at different places. You know, uh, Renfro is going to be mainly the right fielder. Okay, then, Matt, then is that then MJ Melendez is your left fielder. Uh, how do you see the outfield, uh, you know, uh, shaking out since the Royals and J.J. Piccolo said one of the main things they wanted to see last year was if Kyle Isbell could play center field. If that's the case, then he's playing center field. How do you think the uh, outfield looks for the uh, Royals team this year? I'm so glad you asked because this is, this is, we talked about this last year, especially with MJ Melendez in that how thin of a line it is to be a productive left fielder or a corner outfielder. 
to just a guy. And you either have to hit the ball really well, a la Kyle Schwarber, if you're going to play defense as bad as Kyle Schwarber. If you're going to be decent on defense, you got to have you know a league average bat, and then you're kind of going into the plus value range. But MJ Melendez last year, or I guess in his career, he's hit lefties a 708 OPS, righties a 710. During his second half resurgence last year, he carried an 836 OPS. His right-handed OPS was a 944. His left-handed OPS was a 436. Real, real poor against left-handed pitching last year during his breakout in the mm-hmm. second half. So I'm really curious to see what they do. If they think that it is time to go, then I could really see them lean into a platoon situation with Nelly Vazquez and Hunter Renfro taking a lot of lefties, mm-hmm. and then the MJ Mendez taking a lot of right-handed pitching days, which has plenty. I mean, he's going to get plenty of opportunities if that's the case. He's going to get plenty of run to contribute and produce on that level. But I'm really curious to see what they kind of decide to do and how long they will let him be mediocre against <laughs> left-handed pitchers before they kind of pull that trigger. But yeah, especially if he has, any, if he has anywhere near the start that he did last year. I mean, they, they're, they're going to yep. pull the uh, – uh, there's, there's too much going into this year for them to go, ah, we'll just keep a guy in the lineup who's, you know, um, OPSing at, at 250 through the first month and a half yep. of the season. But I do, I do agree. I think that they're still going to give him an opportunity to be the le- everyday left left fielder. Um, center field seems to belong to Kyle Isbell for now, yeah. and then right field could be Renfro and Velasquez kind of starting out. And that's really where after that is going to be the interesting part because Garrett Hampson can play center field. Adam Frazier has played corner outfielders. Dyrone Blanco kind of came off a pretty quiet, great year, um, and he kind of fits that role. He's 30 years old. He runs really fast, plays really good defense. The bat is serviceable. That's what you want from a fourth or fifth outfielder to be a, potentially a defensive replacement or a pinch runner. I think you can absolutely make the case that he deserves that, you know, that final roster spot. But then you got Drew Waters, who potentially has a higher ceiling than him, and he needs reps. He, I don't know if he has much more to learn in Omaha to be able to uh, develop further. So he may just need major league reps. And then Tyler Gentry is knocking on the door. Nick Lofton's knocking on the door. I mean, they've got options. They just need to figure out who's going to go take that job. So, again, we're kind of in the same boat. Like, mm-hmm. I'm excited about the depth. I'm excited for the opportunity. I'm excited for the contingency plans that they have in, you know, in-house. But um, we're just going to see how they all shake out here in spring. Josh Kaiser, KCSN, One Royal Way podcast. Josh, you're the man. Appreciate it as always, brother. Um, and uh, we will talk next week uh, on a Monday. Uh, continue talking some Royals baseball with you. Appreciate it, man. Love it. Sounds like a date. Absolutely. There you go. And and you know what? Um, maybe we'll also go on a date twisters. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. God, I can't wait till Twister three. Oh man, college well, edition. Is that going to be twenty more years? Or ninety six? Right? Was the original? Is that right? You're going thirty year breaks here. No, 25? this one. This one's good. You got to capitalize on it in Hollywood. Come on, man. There's no new ideas in Hollywood anymore. I mean, clearly, <laughs> Twisters. It's just too. It's, oh no, sorry. It's it's Twisters with two S's, but then the S flips around into a two, so it's Twisters two. The third installment in the Twister franchise. And the S is actually just uh, sort of, it looks like an S, but it's actually just a tornado. Oh, I That's love sort that. Of like the oh, the tornado, but then like there's darker uh, S coming, like borders coming out of that yeah. tornado there. Yeah. yeah. That's going to, I bet they have at least three Twisters in that movie. Look, if you need any help, Hollywood, I know you're struggling. <laughs>
I we mean, right clearly here. they are. We got you right here. They should come out with another True Detective, um, and they should have it more supernatural stuff. They should they should be about like supernatural things going on, sort of like oddity things. It's like, wow, is this like, is this like a, a third dimension? Is this like, are, are are now we talking to ghosts? Uh, is there are there spirits here? Uh, and they should call it True Detective, but make it sort of like demonic at times. Can, can I just can I just really the one thing that's missing? True Detectives. All right, we we'll continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels. We've talked with, um, so far today, uh, Ari Temkin, Sirius XM College host of the uh, Big 12 Radio. We talked with uh, uh, Jack Johnson down in Arizona, Surprise, Arizona. And we talked with Josh Kaiser from uh, KC Sports Network. We'll talk with Mick Schaefer coming up at uh, 1 o'clock. And the Missouri Athletic Department is going to be talking with different candidates to fill their athletic director role because Desiree Reed Francois has uh, taken the Arizona athletic director job. Uh, the reports are that uh, she may be taking less money. I can give you the source on that one Please. too. Also, yep. Troy Hutchinson, I, I don't know his work. He's got like 2,000 followers, but his bio is a staff writer for uh, GoAZCats.com, a rival site. And um, and he tweeted that Arizona sent an email announcing the hiring and uh, giving her a five-year contract with a base of $1 million who, her first year that will increase to $1.2 million in the fifth year of her contract. Um, I don't know if that's increasing a little bit each year or if that's saying year five is a, it's one each of the first four years and one point two after. Um, so not not about the money in that regard. So on February 8th, the Missouri System Board of Curators voted unanimously to create the Mizzou Intercollegiate Athletics Special Committee, um, establishing a new oversight committee that will monitor Mizzou athletics with broad changes to college sports and the rising spending by the Missouri Athletic Department. Um this here in the uh, Columbia, Missouri, and the committee's first charge focuses on Mizzou Athletics finances. The new oversight group will have the power to obtain, monitor, and gather all information the committee deems necessary to assess progress of athletic funding efforts and results of funding. In the 2023 fiscal year, which ended in June, the athletic department finished in the black by a single dollar. Partially because of direct financial support in the form of a loan from the university, Mizzou Athletics spent and generated record amounts that year, which ended before the 2023 football season and Monday's record-setting $62 million donation. The committee is also tasked with obtaining and monitoring all information regarding the progress of the Memorial Stadium project, any other athletic facilities or plans, and the progress of the uh, Huron Roadmap. Um there are other things that the committee is going to be in charge, uh, going to be in charge of. Um, some of that will be the future of NIL and uh, conference realignment, uh, things that are just going on in college athletics in general, employment status, unionization, all the other things that are taking place with athletics. There had been, you know, the the talk 
earlier that we had discussed of friction going on between the Board of Curators and Desiree Reed francois Those that around the team or the university not thinking it was enough to then have a split between the AD and, and Mizzou. And that's what's happened um, as she uh, heads to Arizona. And as, you know, Gabe DeArmond at Power Mizzou is, you know, she's making less money, but that's not a surprise to uh, to people because when it happened, people then looked to this oversight issue. Um, I don't know if we mentioned here, so I, I have that or that yeah, according to her amendment to her contract at Mizzou, she'd make $1.25 million annually plus three hundred fifty grand yeah. in deferred compensation. Um, that's from the Columbia Daily Tribune, a story from April uh, last year. My my initial thoughts on it are this is now going to be when they hire a new athletic director. It will be athletic director number three for Eli Drinkwitz. That's not staple. That's not somebody who finished in the top ten in the final ranking of the season who is viewed as going to have one of um, the, the, the best teams in America coming up this season, who has NIL rolling, who has the recruiting rolling, now, he's got a really nice contract in Mizzou. So, AD or not, Mizzou's still going to have to honor that particular contract. And I can't imagine an AD coming in and going, oh, I want to get Eli out of here. No, the AD's job is to make sure that he and Eli, she and Eli work together and are on the same sort of uh, uh, wavelength in the the vision for the Missouri Athletic Department from the football standpoint. Football side has to be taken care of. Absolutely. 100%. First and foremost. The second part of it is Dennis Gates' clock has officially started. The new AD did not hire Dennis Gates. Dennis Gates, the AD that hired him, is now at Arizona. He is barreling towards 0-18 in conference. They won a game in the tournament last year. But all of last year's equity that might have been built up is gone. At best for Dennis Gates, he will start with a clean slate this year, at best, there is no step one, two, or three ahead. That's what he started with this year. He started with equity that was built up through going and winning and making the tournament and winning a game in the tournament. It ended poorly in losing in the second round to a Princeton team that, you know, Missouri should have been going on in the second weekend. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. That's the NCAA tournament. But he entered this year with a lot of hope, hype, excitement around what he can mean to the basketball program. And that has been brutal this year. Absolutely brutal this year. His clock has started. And whoever comes in as the AD may only give him one year. If I was the AD, I would only give him one year. That's how I would approach it. I didn't hire you. You have to prove to me why I want to retain you. Eli's already done it. Eli did it already. It took a number of it took a few years, but he did it. This Last will now year by, be, he buys him like three. Yes, <laughs> he, there's a, a much longer right. runway for Eli. But he did that. This is year three for you. You have to do that now. Does that mean that Dennis Gates then goes? Well, maybe I can't build this team through the freshman class like I was hoping to do. And now we got to go out and spend some money in NIL to make it better, quicker, to have a more of a surge of talent on the team and not a slow burn that, hey, they've got this 
top recruiting class coming in with all these uh, these freshmen. Yeah, they have a top recruiting class because we're not seeing recruiting the way that we used to when teams would just go, you know what, I'm going to get this guy's got the number two or number three recruiting class. Yeah, they've got these two top 25 guys and they got this. Those teams are getting, those big teams are getting some of the one-and-done players, but they are getting the transfers as well. And they're supplementing a little bit here and there with the one-and-done players. It's not the one-and-done players are the reason why you have an awesome recruiting class. Because what we're seeing in college basketball is that you're bringing in guys that are anywhere from 50 to 300. Like, oh, yeah, this is a nice recruit. Yeah. Tell me what it looks like in a couple of years and what jersey he's wearing in a couple of years. Because this is an awesome recruiting class coming in from Missouri. Okay, great. So when the players are really good, are they going to be wearing Missouri uniforms? That's how college basketball has changed. Is I mean, are, are we seeing a program that's built off just true freshmen coming in and staying and staying? And no, those guys are leaving. And you're getting transfers in. So Missouri did that last year. They got a lot of transfers in, and Kobe Brown was awesome. <laughs> so that helped. Kobe Brown was awesome. Had a lot of transfers. Is there more, there should be, more of an urgency for Dennis Gates to say, I got to win now. I got to win this year for my job. And by the way, none wrong with thinking I got to have a really good team this year and I don't need to just take a year off or have it be more of a slower build with this new freshman class. It is not basketball of the old age. And coaches that want it that way, they have no problem cashing the new age check. Because the check you're cashing is because of the expectations that are placed on you. You didn't get to you, you didn't used to get that check. And you also didn't have the you better win right away. Well, it's it's not fair that we have to win right away. Cool. Then go make $100,000 as a coach. Don't cash the 2 or 3 million dollar check if you don't want to have the responsibility and the pressure of winning right away. It comes with the territory now. The money is more, expectations are greater. They have an oversight committee at Mizzou about how much money they're spending at the athletic department. It's it's go time for Dennis Gates. I think he would have gotten two more years regardless with Desiree Reed Francois. I think he can only think about one year right now. And even that is sort of tough to say. Okay, so so what what do you have to accomplish in that year? What does that mm-hmm. mean? Well, you're. I don't think. I don't think you're going to make a tournament game or, or you know, have any sort of a, a exclamation point at the end of your resume for this season. So what can you accomplish next year if this, this year is just an absolute wasteland? What is, what is the standard next year? Do you need to be an NIT team? Do you need to be back in the tournament? Can you have success in some other form that sells the new AD and this board on, on you being the right person for the future? And, and I think that's the bare minimum. Yeah. I think what happens, and this sucks for Dennis Gates because he did it once and got the job and got hired, but most coaches who aren't perpetually in a spot of continuing success. Most coaches have to do this pretty much every few years anyway. You have to sell the leadership on your vision. He's going to have to do it all over again. He did it for Reed Francois. He he got the job and last year had the results. Going forward with whoever the new AD is and, and with the board, he has to be able to say at the very, very least, here is some on-court progress we made in 2024-5 and this is where I see it going forward. I it's a different world now. This is me having like a little hiccup on thinking about the horrible things that happened in the darkest days of Kansas football. I don't want a coach to completely panic button. We got to win this year. Because if all you're thinking about is winning this year, what does your sustainability look like? How do you get there? What's the path? 
But in this version of college basketball, that one-year big red button can be incredibly lucrative, very successful, and it doesn't preclude you from recruiting for your future as well. This isn't mm-hmm. a case where you only you have all these JUCO football players coming in that are, are suffocating your chance to build a, a more long-lasting program. This is a different world now, and and maybe the maybe the silver lining of this is that it does make Dennis Gates play in that space again a little bit more, and that there is something good to come from all of this. Because nobody thinks that Dennis Gates is a bad basketball coach, and nobody thinks he's a bad leader based off the success of last year. So what's going wrong, and is this going to get turned around? The arrow has to be pointing in a very different direction, obviously. To say the most obvious thing yeah. of all time, you won a tournament game last year, you had a real chance of winning two, and right now you you won more tournament games last year than you've won conference games this year. That's unacceptable. At minimum, his year next year is to accomplish to get one more year. Yeah. Because at minimum, he has to show that it is going to be heading in the right direction. Because he proved at Cleveland State that he can build a program. Absolutely. It steadily got better. And then he comes right into Mizzou and turns him into a tournament team. And that's not something I expected to have happen. Even if you go, well, he shouldn't have won. He shouldn't have been that good that early. He's lucky he was. Because this team, if he did not not make the tournament last year and had this team, I would already be talking about who the next coach of Missouri is. But he showed it last year. His team's lack of really wanting to play defense still concerns me moving forward as the head coach. But he has to show the new AD, whoever it is, that he's deserving of at least one more year. Because if he shows next year that it's heading in the right direction, the AD would go, okay, so you had one good year, one terrible year, and now you're showing it's heading in the right direction. I'm not giving you an extension. Nobody's coming to hire you right now, so you get one more year. Because if that year shows me that it's continuing to head in the right direction, then you can say your second year was a complete anomaly, and that thing blew up in your face, and you learned so much from that year. That year was good for you and the program because of all of the things you took away of what not to do. I found 9,000 ways to not build a light bulb. (laughs) I learned all these different ways of to not go and win basketball games. I, I figured all of those things out in year number two. And now year number three and four were better for that. But if year number four, you come back to the pack from wherever you were in year number three, at that point, you've shown that you're just simply up and down. And that AD will will find somebody else. Unless, of course, you strike up and have this amazing relationship with the person. But he still didn't hire you. He doesn't have that. It's not You didn't draft this quarterback. So when I come in, I can, I can move that quarterback out. I can go and find a new quarterback in here because I didn't draft that guy. That wasn't me. That was the previous regime. I didn't hire Dennis Gates. That was Desiree Reeve Francois. She's the one that jumped ship. I'm here ready to take over. I'm taking care of Eli Drinkwitz. I'm taking care of the, the, the programs that are having success. And Dennis Gates isn't getting it done. It's not up to our standards at Mizzou. We want to be great in basketball. We want to go to a Final Four. If we don't have a coach that I believe can go to a Final Four, I'll find a new one. Okay. And that's what the uh, new AD, he's got to say that. She's got to say that. Whoever it is, they go out and hire. Take care of Eli Drinkwitz. Get basketball on the right track. You make a good point with Dennis Gates needing to be thankful for the expectations that follow a season like last year. Because there are a lot of circumstances where you can be a victim of your own success. You overachieve and then barely underachieve the next year, and it looks like you've fallen off an absolute cliff. That's not what's happening right now. <laughs> this is no. this is not a slightly underwhelming season after a, wow, so much better than we ever could have dreamed of year last year. This season is, I mean, as in the tank as it could literally be through conference play at this point. 
and last year feels like a, a an absolute daydream that we all just experienced together. What that if if last year is just Mizzou building season and this year is floor falls out, new AD shows up and absolutely says, "Hey man, thanks for your service. Uh, we're gonna try it again because you gave us a little bit last year and Jack bleep nothing this year. We'll move on." Right now, he has enough built up. And I think this is fair. I, I don't think this is a wrong mindset. I do think Dennis Gates has earned year three. Mm-hmm. But that's all you can say right now. It, it cannot be more than that. And that's all without really getting into the weeds of what does this mean for the way that Mizzou is making decisions right now. What does this mean for who the next AD is going to be? If Desiree Francois saw what happened two weeks ago and then took a job at one of the most tumultuous programs in college sports right now from a financial perspective, and she said, I'll take that job, if that's the point A to point B. We're connecting the dots here. It's just what's happened to this point. We'll find out more details over the next couple weeks, I'm sure. But if she looked around and said, I think Arizona's a better situation for me right now than being at Missouri— I, I don't know what the domino effect of that could look like for this for this athletic department and all, all together. And obviously, that's not it's not the place you want to be in late February as you no. are watching the the rest of the college world sort of settle into their groove. And I think there's a completely different part of it with um, you know the the story they're talking about the the oversight committee and um, the 2023 fiscal year, which ended in June. The athletic department finished in the black by a single dollar. Uh, and then the uh, Columbia, Missourian writes, partially because of direct financial support in the form of a loan from the university, Mizzou Athletics spent and generated record amounts that year, which ended before the 2023 football season, and Monday's record-setting $62 million donation. Here's what I would be worried about, is if they bring in an oversight committee that isn't smart enough to recognize that athletic departments finish right around the black every year on purpose (laughs) because it is a needle that they have to thread. You have to make enough money where you aren't looking like a drag on the university so that the people that don't like sports feel like, oh, well, we're giving all of our money. The, The athletic department's losing money. See that? They lost money this year. The athletic department's losing money. You have to uh, be at a part to where your budget at the end, you have spent enough money that it comes right around even. Because if you make too much money, now the university says, well, they're making all that money. Why don't they give it to the university part of it? Why don't they supplement us? In that part of the university, they should supplement us. If you're losing money, well, now they're saying you're a problem. We have to give you money. you got to finish right around even. Right around even. That's why budgets and revenue rise equally in college athletics for decades. Well, you know, their budget was $60 million, and then they uh, made $60 million revenue. Well, you know, this year their budget went to $100 million. Oh, and then they spent $100 million. And this year, yes. Because if you have money left over, the university wants it. And you don't want to give it to the university. You want to give it to the athletic department. So if you've got oversight committees coming in and going, well, we can cut back here. We can cut back there. We can cut back there. We can cut back over here. We can cut back over there. Well, look at all this money we're making for the university. Yeah. Now you're cutting back on things that the AD was spending to keep an Eli Drinkwitz, to continue to build the athletic facilities, to make sure the next college basketball coach, if it's not Dennis Gates, comes in and says, our facilities are amazing and they're not crappy. Like Rick Patino's talking about at St. John's. Yes, we have, I'll say that he said, shoddy. 
Yes, we have shoddy facilities here at St. John's. But shoddy facilities are not why you can't guard somebody. Also smart by St. John's to clip that part out of the press conference. That makes sense. You can go to St. John's website and uh, watch the entire press conference from Rick Pitino. Nowhere in there does he say they have shoddy facilities at St. John's. Weird. If I was them, I might just leave that one off the website entirely. Probably. It's odd. It was about 15 seconds that they clipped out of Rick Pitino. Wouldn't be the first. All right, wrapping up this hour, we're talking Mick Schaefer, KSHB 41 Sports Director, hanging out with us here in studio. And we'll get some Learn Funniest Best, what we learned from the weekend, the funniest from the weekend, and the best from the weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, Desiree Reed-Francois and her leaving Columbia, Missouri to head to Arizona to take over for the Arizona Wildcats as their athletic director, as they will be heading to the Big 12. So Missouri now needs a new athletic director. The search is on for Mizzou and the questions surrounding the move by DRF to leave Missouri but not take more money. So she'll be making a little bit less at Arizona. DRF leaves MIZ to AZ. Now MIZ needs a new AD. What's so complicated about that? The SEC. 